It's time for Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games Podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 194. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. Right off the bat, two new patrons. Welcome. Woo! We love we you guys. Got Nathaniel. It's very generous. And we have uh, Igor. Welcome. Welcome. Is it Igor or Igor? I don't know. I would guess I mispronounced most names. So Yeah, I'm going to go with the opposite of what you said. <laughs> That's a good bet. Yeah. Good of you to be here. I'll put a link in the show notes. Oh, man. Where's my where's my show notes? Uh, to the Patreon. Also oh, on that note. Um, so unprepared. So unprepared. Indie Game Sim on Greenlight. Ooh, how's that going? It's going okay. Um, I need your votes, so that's another way you can help us out. Even if you don't want to throw a couple bucks at us every month, that's okay. You can throw a vote at us once every year or five when we ship games. <laughs> <laughs> vote it up on Greenlight for us. Um, IGS is stalled out at about 70%. It's got just over 500 yes votes. That's 70% to the top 100? Yeah, whatever in the world that means. I would assume that they say that because when you get to the top 100, then you're going to get let in. But as we know, green light is a black box. So nothing's for certain. I have heard that when you get around 400 plus votes that you're probably a shoe in because Steam these days is like, you know, the floodgates are opening a bit. Right. So I've got a good feeling about it getting on Steam, but I should not relent. It's almost like <laughs> for a, sure. crowds, a crowdsourced version of the Apple Store review, right? It's like... yeah. They just need enough positive signals to make sure it's not complete crap. <laughs> you know, like it's not like, you know, press a button and it makes a fart sound and it's, that's the app. Right? It's, it's their garbage filter. Yeah, pretty Welcome much, to right? Steam Greenlight, where we have our paying customers become our garbage men. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of like that, I guess. Yeah. Something else I wanted to mention, a, another Game Dev podcast. I know a lot of our listeners, they love us. They love our show. Oh, isn't that nice? But... They also listen to multiple podcasts, so here's one. Have you heard of Game Dev Unchained? Uh, I have not. I don't think I have either. I feel like just by having a Game Dev podcast, we probably know more <laughs> podcasts than your average person, uh, but this one I had not heard of. Uh, the is, rea- it, hmm? is it anything like Django Unchained? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the same thing, but with game development. I see. If you can make any sense out of that, go for it. <laughs> So I stumbled upon this one because my friend, she goes professionally by AJ Glasser. She was on the podcast, and I always love to see more uh, women, you know, emphasized in the industry because unfortunately it's one of these industries where the female presence is low. So check out that podcast. Listen to AJ. She's really cool. She's very dynamic. She's like outgoing and curses a lot and very opinionated, right? Like... I don't know. She's fun to listen to. I think you'll have a good time. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Go listen to it. And if you like Game Dev Unchained, then subscribe. Nice. What else we got? Oh, I love this. Uh, again, from Andre, another question for Lost Cast. Man, if, uh, if you haven't realized yet, we like getting questions. Yes. So if you've got them, shoot us an email or hit us on the forum because uh, we like it. So this question is about asset reuse and stock assets, which is very interesting because, you know, as we were playing with Unity last year, we saw that like, man, is that uh platform set up for you to buy assets right like it really wants you to they're totally integrated into the editor and everything um and so assets are becoming more prominent than they used to be probably at least the ones where anyone could get their hands on it right yeah and it's not just like there's models and there's scripts like you can download uh here's like an ai script for this does whatever right that's true yeah or here's like a camera script or here's a lighting script uh or a tile map or whatever right exactly yeah. So um, Andre's particular question uh, is also involved with other mediums. For example, he points out that movies and maybe even newspapers and other mediums, um, they will reuse assets and it's kind of seen as like, okay, you know, like you might see a prop in a movie that's used in another movie and then used in another show. And it's almost seen as an Easter egg. Like people almost enjoy it, right? But if you play a game, uh, for example, Far Cry Primal, uh, was a game where there was a map based on a previous Far Cry game. I think it was Far Cry 4, and uh, people hate that. You know, I remember personally, um, when I played Crackdown 2, and this was egregious, I think, but, like, all of Crackdown's map was the same as Crackdown 1. All they did was they kind of destroyed stuff to, like, knock over a building or poke a hole in the side and make it look all kind of crumbly, right? Uh, and yeah. then there's also, like, zombies everywhere. But, like, I found that to be really lazy, and that, to me, was too much reuse right but i do think that there's a level where it's like yeah asset reuse is fine like you've got these perfectly good 
uh, 3D models, like go for it, you know? So I think I have like a, a thought that occurs to me right away about that. And I think it's because that games, I think by and large, are not as immersive storytelling platforms as movies and books and things like that. Really? Like, yeah. I was going to go the right? opposite route. Really? Wait, I think games are more immersive. And you're uh, saying I the think, opposite? I think that they're more immersive. I said storytelling-wise. Storytelling-wise. Mm. So, for example, when you go watch a movie, like some movies are all about special effects and action, right? Perhaps. That's fair. But That's fair. A lot of times you're going to the movie for like the narrative, right? Whatever it happens to be. It might be a shallow narrative. It is a story, though. That's that's almost all that it is, right? Unless right. you're watching an hour and a half of just like, here's some pretty mountains. No, they all, pretty much all movies tell stories. Right. And but not all can, games necessarily. Not necessarily. And, and I feel like, you know, oftentimes, especially when you're talking about a game like Far Cry or something. Yeah. Uh, it's a very thin storyline. I mean, Tiger Hat on, I haven't actually played through it. What? I've played Far Cry, but, you know, <laughs> I, I don't imagine that it's like, you know, <laughs> the pinnacle of of narrative in games it's the great story of our ages yes that's what it is so i think you know what ends up happening right is that the assets become the content in some ways right mm. especially in games where there's a lot of repetition right like if you're playing the same map like for example you know a game like crackdown or something where you might be in this big city right yep uh you spend all your time in that city right by and large you have to it's the only place yeah. you can be so, like, it's in your face all the time, right? Whereas yeah. in a movie, okay, you might see that prop in one scene, maybe two scenes. Who knows, right? Right. But in a game where it's meant to be played and grinding is, is a pretty common thing in, uh, in a game, like, you're going to see this model or this asset over and over and over and over again. Right. So, I kind of think that's where it comes from, right? Is that people are more critical of asset reuse in the gaming industry because, you know, one, it's thrust in your face a lot more. And two, um, you know, for lack of other content, like that's all you have, right? Is the pretty graphics and the stuff on the screen. One thing I was thinking about it is that when you're playing a game, uh, I think kind of like along what you were saying, where it's more in your face, right? Let's say you got this asset. That's like a, you know, a car, right? And it's a very particular, particular type of car. So, you know, you've seen it before. In a game, you have free range. You can walk around you can look at it, you can look underneath it, you can jump on top of it probably, you can look at it from any angle. And in a movie, you know, they have this curated way of showing it to you. They might show it to you just for a brief second, just as kind of like, ah, it's an Easter egg, remember that car from the previous movie or from a, a reference to another movie or something along those lines, right? But you have this only bite-sized interaction with that content. Whereas in a game, you know, they put it in a scene and it's like, here it is, I, we can't really hide it, you know? Right. It, it's in your face and you're almost forced to interact with it. And it's not just in one very slight, quick way. Like, I guess it could be if it's part of the background or something. But I guess what I'm saying is you have the ability in a game to be much more interactive with the stuff in it. And so yeah, you're more personal with the things in that game, right? Oh, absolutely. Especially like kind of like an open world type of game where you can just walk around and look at whatever you want whenever you right. want. It's like you could spend 15 minutes looking at this car from every single angle. Yeah. And, you know, some people do that. They'll inspect it and be like, oh, look at this model. Like, maybe they're interested in 3D modeling or something, you know? I've done that in games where, like, you know, I'll look at stuff and be like, oh, how did they, like, you know, I wonder how this level was built, how this geometry, blah, blah, blah. I remember in uh, Dragon Quest Two. here I am dating myself again. When that game came out, it was bragging about how, you know, oh, Dragon Warrior was a, you know, hit RPG for Nintendo. And the sequel was like, oh, it's twice as big or four times bigger or something. The map for the original game is inside of the map for the sequel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. And, you know, I guess some people might be like, what? I've played this before. This is dumb. And that game, you know, didn't come out that long ago even, right? But I thought it was super cool because I'm like, oh, man, there's that castle. I spent so much time there. It's so cool. That is pretty cool. I don't know if that's fair to, fair to call it asset reuse necessarily because it's, it's more of just the design, the layout. Like, I'm pretty sure the actual sprites were different, right? Like, updated and probably looked a little nicer. Right. See, I feel like that's more of a homage. You know, homage. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's a, that's a good that's a good example of, of asset reuse. Yeah. I was I wanted to bring up another example actually of what I think is pretty decent asset reuse, which is World of Warcraft, which is a game that I've been playing recently because the expansion just came out. But one thing they did for this latest expansion was they brought back the central town hub from Wrath of the Lich King. Which was previous expansion. So there's this floating city called Dalaran. It's like this chunk of land 
that's like floating in the air and it has this big city like full of mages and stuff yeah, yeah it's, it's it's awesome the thematics of it are great um and so that was kind of the central hub in the wrath of the lich king and then they brought it back as the central hub for uh legion which is the latest expansion and i think that that's uh a good asset reuse because there is so much new content around it like one it thematically works because it's a floating city like you could just teleport anywhere right and that's kind of how the storyline went they're like you know we're gonna use our magic powers and we're gonna teleport this floating city from here to there and uh but it kind of gives you like this familiar home base right like if you played the game before you know how the layout of the city and uh like it's more comfortable right because you know like oh i know where to go to the bank i know where to go to the auction house i know where to go to get the mailbox or whatever um, but then all the content around it is completely new. So it almost gives you like this very familiar anchor to come back to and you don't feel completely overwhelmed. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there's something to be said for that familiarity, you know, uh, like a continuing theme throughout a series like Zelda, right? There's always uh, Triforce and, you know, it is just this very simple primitive shape and you're not going to be like, hey, I saw that in a previous Zelda game, right? It's this continuing theme throughout the franchise that's kind of always there and it's this, it's this familiar constant, right? It's comforting. Right. It seems like people get more upset in games that uh, I feel like are just more shallow, right? Yeah. Like you, whenever I see people talking about these really crappy asset flip games, like they're almost always first person shooters. Mm. It seems like, I mean, that's not completely true, but like that kind of seems like it is the de facto asset flip kind of situation right is you've got like a 3d world you're looking at like from a third party third uh like over the shoulder camera or a first person camera yeah and you're like shooting stuff yep. probably zombies <laughs> right <laughs> that's fair <laughs> or whatever you know in far yeah. cry it's like terrorists or who the hell knows i don't know terrorist zombies yes terrorist zombies that are also aliens <laughs> yes <laughs> yes as you can tell we are uh big fps connoisseurs I think that's a thing because there's probably just more 3D assets and you can also do more with a 3D asset, right? Because like, let's say I give you a sprite of a sword. You can maybe change the colors if you want and you have to go in there and change some pixels and you can probably do that given the size of the sprite, right? If it's a big thing, it's not even going to be worth your time. But with the 3D asset, you can really easily reskin it, retexture it, right? You can shrink it very easily. You can look at it from a different angle. There's all kinds of things that you can do to make it look not as obvious as uh, the way that another game used it. Right. I think just the fact that it's 3D makes it more flexible, right? Like, For sure. Even if you never touch the skinning, you never touch the size or the scale or whatever, you know, if you only use it as a 3D model, you know, you can put it in the hand of a hero, you could put it in the hand of the orc, it could work from a top-down perspective, you know, it could be yeah. like a fixed camera, it could be a free-floating camera, like it works in all those situations, whereas if you just have a 2D sword sprite, you know, like the perspective is locked, you know, you can't, right. if that doesn't fit how you want to make your game, you're, it's not going to work. Yeah. I think so. that I'm pretty much fine with asset reuse. And I think the reason for that is because like, if you're, if you're making just some kind of game, like you were saying, where it's like, I'm just going to throw stock assets in here and wrap a game around it and try to ship it like shovelware kind of crap. Right. I think people are going to notice that and they're not going to like it, but you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about limited resources from indie teams and doing a lot with a little and honestly trying to cut corners. And I think that asset, like stock assets, great way to do that. And if you're doing the right things, right? Like if you've got a good art style, a decently unique art style for your game, you might use the same stock asset as another game, but because of your art style, it's almost um, unrecognizable, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, you can get away with a lot, and I think that it's a really good way to um, put your costs down. And I think that it can also enable you just to focus on a really good game design, because that's what people want, you know? Like, look at uh, Goat Simulator. That game, I think, is probably 100% stock assets, right? And people don't really care, because it's it's really fun, you know? It's, it's meant to be this kind of sandbox game. And you'd almost be like, oh, hey, that was the school bus, you know, I saw from Gary's mod. People don't mind, because it's just so fun. The thematics of that game aren't taking itself seriously, you know? I don't right. think it comes across as like, play are, you know, completely 100% <laughs> from the ground up creative masterpiece. Yeah. You know, where it's more like, hey, we made this funny game about goats and crap yeah check it out uh so i think like the messaging it's just like any kind of marketing right the messaging matters a lot 
Yeah. Um, whereas if you're making a game like Far Cry or Doom or something where you're like, you know, you've never experienced horror on this level before. <laughs> yeah. I think, too, it, you need to cater to your audience, you know, because the people who want to play Goat Simulator, they don't care about stock assets, right? They, they've seen them before and they don't care. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't even notice that was the same car I'd seen in another game, whatever, right? They just want to have a good time and they want wacky they want lots of content you know they want to play as a goat and there's nothing really wholly original about goat simulator you know we've had sandboxes before we've had open worlds we've had games like tony hawk where you can do combos we've had games surely where you can play as animals and stuff they just piece it together in a really great way that the audience was going to appreciate right and on the other side of that you've got people who are like okay me i'm really interested in playing owlboy and part of the reason for that is because every pixel is placed by hand you know there's nothing going to be used in that game that was used in another game, right? It's all wholly original. And that's one of the things that I'm on board for, right? But at the same time, that doesn't mean I'm going to hate on Goat Simulator because I think that that brings a lot to the table too. So I guess what I'm saying is I think that stock asset usage can kind of be swayed by who you think you're going to be selling your game to. Yeah. Um, And there's another example in WoW that I think is pretty interesting is that they uh, added this feature, uh, I think maybe one expansion ago, where... um, they call it time walking and every so many weekends it's like a time walking weekend and you can go do uh old instances but they're scaled you're either your gear, gear scales down or they scale the instance up or something but basically hmm. you can do the old instances um at a challenging level uh, again and really it's i think it's brilliant because you know people have you know for for people that never played those expansions they don't know the difference Right. For people that did play those expansions, it's sort of got this nostalgia effect where you're like, oh man, I remember doing Shattered Halls like right. with my guild group back in Burning Crusade. Like that was so much fun. And like here I am doing it again. It's kind of cool. And that's perfectly good content, right? And they just took it out of the game a while ago. They didn't take it out of the game, but like because it's an RPG, you know, like you, you could always it. go back. Yeah, you, you'd get past it to the point where it's trivial. And some people would like mm. go back there and farm it if there was like a mount that dropped there very rarely or there was like a particular piece of gear that has a certain look that they wanted to use right. um but that's like a very small minority of players that do that kind of thing yeah so the the content was still in the game and you know essentially like i, I think probably even having a tax right like you have to have that yeah. code and, and that data and the assets and all the logic about the bosses like all that stuff still exists in the game um, but only a small fraction of your player base is seeing it and I think it's pretty smart to be able to say, you know, hey, let's take this content that's already done. You know, it's like the bosses are there, the thematics are there, the storyline, the scripting. All we have to do is scale up or the enemies are scaled down the players so that the combat numbers are balanced. Yeah, and then, I think that's and, smart. And then they, they kind of throw it in this like rotation, right? Where it's like, okay, this weekend is Burning Crusade time walking where you can only do dungeons from Burning Crusade. Oh, nice. And then the next weekend is... Wrath of the Lich King time walking where you can only do Wrath of the Lich King dungeons. And so like the, you know, scarcity kind of makes it more fun too. The scarcity. Yeah, I think that's really important because it creates this importance around it, right? Because otherwise you might be like, you know, I was going to play WoW this weekend, but, you know, I'm going to do this other thing that I've been wanting to do, right? But yeah. they create this element where like, oh man, that was that, you know, the instance I had so much fun with and it's only available this weekend. I'm totally playing. And of course they do this sort of like free to play mechanic type of thing where uh, there's a currency that you get from doing that stuff and you can only spend it during that event. Like the NPCs where you can purchase the, whatever they are, the toys or the the gear and stuff. Um, it's like scarce too. Am I crazy or did WoW recently introduce something where you can use in-game gold to buy more subscription time? Yes. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, probably. <laughs> so I'm only slightly crazy. <laughs> You're only slightly crazy, yeah. Well, um, actually, I, it's probably about how long since I've actually played WoW. Melissa and I have been funding our WoW accounts solely through gold for a while now. Mm, so we actually cool. haven't even paid to play the game in a long time. So how do they make money from you? Or do they? Um, do you just take money from them with server costs and maintenance costs? Well, Are you a they're, leech? <laughs> they're making money, right? Because so, so it's, the WoW token thing is actually pretty brilliant because you're not buying the game time from blizzard with gold you're buying the game time from another player with gold oh i see and that player had to purchase that game time token with real money right so basically it's a legitimized 
gold selling operation, right? Because yeah, because that was going on anyway. It was yeah, exactly. Like people were farming gold in WoW, and then they would you know sell it for real money on some shady websites, and then you would log in and they would give you the gold, hopefully, or you would get scammed. So like you would, uh, people would farm gold in WoW, and then you would go to a shady looking website and you would (laughs) purchase it, and then hopefully you know they would show up in game and give you the gold. Hmm. Um, but you know, there's a lot of risk associated with that. And there's a lot of account hackings and people and credit card fraud and all kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be on the online version of a shady alley full of used syringes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, you know, especially if, uh, the more Blizzard incorporates that stuff into their game, the more money they're going to make. Like people want it. Like people are lazy, right? It's kind of like, you know, the whole pirating argument, right? Is if you make it frictionless for people to get the content they want, They'll probably do it the right way. Most people. Right. Um, and I think, so that, that's what World of Warcraft did, right? Like, they recognize that some people have more money than time. And they want to use that real-world money to buy in-game resources, right? I wonder if, more, if most people will do it the right way if you give them those hooks. I agree that more people. Like, the, the less friction there is, the more people you're going to have doing it the right way, right? But, like, what I've seen from any kind of pirate reports is that for your average game, it's something like 90% pirated. And that's across mobile and desktop and everything. I don't know about console. It's probably harder on console, but I think in general. Yeah, probably. I think the distinction here is that you're spending money either way, right? So like, mm. if you're going to spend money on illegitimate gold transactions, or you can spend money on legitimate gold transactions, um, it's kind of like Lars Doucet and his uh, you know, money dollars, the four types of currency. Yep. Like, it's uh, scary and troublesome to spend your money uh, on a shady website buying gold because there's a lot of risk involved and like you may not get it and you're not really confident in the seller and stuff. And so you might, you'll, you'll probably tolerate a little bit of a higher money dollars cost to not have to deal with like the guilt and the potential account banning and maybe getting credit card scammed or maybe getting your account hacked, like all those things you know, for a serious WoW player, someone who's willing to spend gold or to spend real money to gain an advantage in the game, right? They must care about it to some degree. Right. I feel like that risk is very much offset by, you know, even a small increase in yeah. the actual cash you're paying. For sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. A uh, a net gain, certainly. I guess that's kind of like why, um, you know, in that article about G2A or whatever, um, he's talking about how it's sort of insidious because it gives you that feeling that like, hey, everything's on the up and up and you're getting a good deal, right? It's like almost yeah. too good to be true because all of the costs are very low. Like there's no guilt. There's no, you know, shadiness risk necessarily, or at least it doesn't appear to be. It looks like it's on the up and up. Yeah. That's so. one thing I think I like so much about Humble is it's a fantastic deal. It's legit. It helps charity. It's like all lights are green. You know, oh, it's a humble bundle and you're interested in like two things out of five or ten, like just slap some money on the table. You know, there's no there's no friction there for me because it's all good. Yeah. There's no like, and we're going to kill one basket of puppies per purchase. And you're like, oh, I don't, <laughs> I'm not in favor of that, but I want these games. <laughs> None of that. I think you do make a, a good point, though, about like just the overall piracy, right? Like if, if someone could get something for free versus any money it's like that's a bigger barrier right because you don't yeah when you take away the need to do a financial transaction that removes a lot of like the risk and you know whatever else some people too they just do not have access to credit cards you know like i probably didn't have an access access to a credit card until i was a teen you know and in some scenarios like oh i managed to save up 15 bucks by mowing the lawn or something like that's not going to do you any good in certain contexts right like trying to shove money into your monitor to buy a steam game Right. not going to work. And then some people really enjoy pirating or finding any way to, you know, like scum the system uh, because it's the same thing as like cutting out coupons or getting a really like a, a Black Friday deals. You know, some people just really enjoy like, oh, man, I've pirated $10,000 worth of games. It's so good. I'm so happy. You know, yeah. some people love it. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> just trying to point out. <laughs> I think for me, this is one of the, the main reasons I don't pirate stuff, honestly, um, so, some of it's kind of moral. Like, I don't really like the idea of taking people's hard work and not paying them for it. But sure. Uh, the other part of it is that, like, I just don't want to deal with those sections of the internet. I don't want BitTorrent. I don't want Pirate Bay. I don't want any of that. Shit. 
I don't want to visit those sites. I don't want downloading. I don't want to be downloading like zip files full of whatever. You know, maybe <laughs> movies, maybe viruses. You don't Welcome know where it's to been. virus. Right. You now have all the viruses. <laughs> all the... <laughs> and to be fair, you know, you know, there's a lot of people that probably you know get a lot of legitimate clean stuff off BitTorrent, and I'm happy for them. But for me, it's not it's not <laughs> worth the risk. Some people also got a healthy kidney from the black market. It's possible. <laughs> exactly right. A, a non-diseased kidney that they didn't. <laughs> someone didn't have to die to get you. Nah, I'm sure it's fine. There's not someone bleeding out in the bathtub somewhere. While you I love. I just want. Kidney. <laughs> I just wanted to point out. I love that we get. What's your thoughts about asset reuse and use of stock assets in game development? And we go. Well, at least you're not bleeding out in a bathroom. <laughs> I think that might be the end of the discussion. Yeah. I don't know where you can go from bleeding out in the bathroom. We've where taken you, it as far as it can where go. Where do you go from there? I think, though, that clearly from the bleeding out in the bathroom, it's clear that we are okay with stock asset usage. <laughs> I think it just, you know, it has to be smart and you have to take your audience into consideration. And, you know, if it looks lazy, it probably is. <laughs> That's right? true. Yeah. And uh, if it feels good, then you you nailed it, right? Yeah. So... Okay, next topic. I'm excited. I'm pumped. Uh oh. Um, I did not see this coming. I think it came from. Um, I think once in a while we will we will. I'm talking about Soul Thief. I'll just say that we will put Soul Thief down for a little while, or like it'll just kind of rest, you know. And then we'll have this like long, really great conversation, and then I will get really fired up about it again. And we did that recently. It marinates. It marinates. It does. Um. So. We talked a little bit about the ruthlessness of our new approach to Soul Thief last week. And uh, I have been doing... Has that just been one week? No. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> I really hit the ground running on that. I did not see that coming, too. Because, you know, as listeners probably know, I've been pretty into indie game sim for the last couple months. Um, and I think I'm going to get back into it because uh, Steam has, you know, reinvigorated me. Uh, but we had this chat about Soul Thief and the problems with it. And we were lamenting, you know, just, oh, these decisions we made that were wrong and whatnot. So we said, screw that. We're just going to go in there and fix the problems. So I went in. And the first change, I think, is probably also the best change. The possession mechanic has been completely rejiggered. Completely? Completely. So the way it used to work is this. You are Raga. You're sitting there. And you see something you want to possess. So you point your face at something and hit the A button. And you shoot a Raga head projectile out. And it's like a boomerang, basically. It'll shoot out, it goes in a straight arrow, and then at some point it reverses itself, comes back to you, and then you repossess your own body. It's kind of fine. Um, you know, it's fun to possess the monsters, and that's the point. But the new changes to the mechanic were heavily inspired by Leoric from Heroes of the Storm, which Jeff and I often talk about. Um, the way Leoric works is you can hit his E. That's his E skill. Uh, I forget what you call it. Wraithwalk? Yeah, Wraithwalk. So you hit the button and your current body, he's, his whole bit is he's like undead, undying. He's a skeleton king, right? And he will, you know more about him than me, so feel free to interject. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty close. But he'll like kneel down and just sit, like his body will just sit there and his spirit will move out really fast to allow you to escape. When the time expires, you kind of teleport to where your new, like where your wraith body is, right? Right. So it's a really great escape, and you can also use it to engage. You can, like, you know, if someone's trying to get away, you get the speed boost, and you can, you know, hit them in the face with your mace. Hit them in the face. So I really liked that, and I used that to inspire the new possession mechanic in Soul Thief. And so it works that way now. You now hit the space button. I'll talk more about that. You hit the space button, and your soul shoots out. Your body goes to sleep like it used to, and your soul will just travel for a little bit. And you, if you touch something else, you will possess it. And if not... Uh, when the expiration hits or when you hit the button again, you will teleport to the Wraith spot. I like That's it. That's pretty cool. I like it too. Um, I think that you said that it was a, like you made it sound like it was a complete change of mechanics, which I don't think it necessarily is. Like the fundamental concept is still the same, right? Like you yeah. shoot out your soul and when it touches something, you possess it. And then when you're possessing a monster, now you're that monster. So that, that stuff is all exactly the same. True. It's really just about the in-between you now have control over your spirit. Yeah. And, and you, you can, can teleport. And you can teleport, yeah. Which is brilliant, I think, because we've always kind of struggled with this, like, how do we make getting from A to B feel better and faster? Exactly, yes. And uh, 
in Wizards Lizard One, our solution was the dash. It was sort of like a link to the past style dash. Yeah, but it added another input, and people like forgot to use it all the time. Oh yeah. Um, but this feels very much harmonious with the rest of the game, right? It's just it's something that you already use. It makes it fun to just you know press it and use it. You don't even have to do it to possess something. Yeah, it definitely makes just walking through a room more fun and it can be a room full of monsters and you can dodge them or it can be a room that you just need to get through you've already been to before it doesn't matter it's just fun to hit that button now and you go and you you know and you teleport and you move faster so you're incentivized to do it and it just makes movement more delightful but it also has like you know you're not invulnerable because i mean your spirit's invulnerable at the time but your body can still take damage and it's just sitting there yeah so you can't really use it to negate damage right um you can sort of use it to negate damage, like if you're um, like spirit walking through spikes or something. Yeah. Um, but I, we can actually add a lot more. You know, because that's a default behavior now, Like we could add some rooms that are just kind of like, hey, here's a wall of spikes. Yeah. Like you have to wraith walk across them. Like that's, that's how it works. Yeah, it does change the dynamic of the game a bit in that regard. But I think it's okay because we can use it in cool ways, you know? Um, it being now a mechanic that has multiple uses means that we can use those multiple uses and we can give players multiple ways to solve problems. Pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm super pumped about that one. Uh, the next change is also pretty crazy. Um, not crazy, but drastic, I should say, from where it currently was. We went back to the AWL1 style where everything's throwing projectiles, including Raga. Yeah. Including Raga. Including Up Raga. to and including Raga. And I'm really pleased with the way this is working out because what I did basically is um, I was really surprised by this, actually. When I got in there and I started coding this stuff, once I got to a certain amount of progress, I got really motivated to, like, get in there and clean house. And I did not see that coming. I might have spent, like, a total of a couple of days, you know, making progress on the new mechanics and stuff. But I would also take this quick little tangent and I'd be like, you know all the cruft left in there, right? Because there's cruft from Wizard Lizard 1, I wrote most, most of that. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's Blair Cruft. I'm intimately familiar with that Cruft. Yeah, we're, we're both responsible, but you know that yeah, it's yeah. there. And it's like some stuff I was like, uh, okay, how about like, here's, here's a bunch of events that don't ever get used, but the listeners are there. Or just a bunch of methods that get fired for no Cut reason. Uh, things being done multiple ways. That was the bane of my existence while I was in there because it would be driving me crazy. I'm like... Why isn't this working? And then I would find out that it was being done two different ways at the same time. And the only reason we didn't notice is because like one would trump the other and it's like ended up being fine. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, the first thing would do the wrong thing and the second thing would do it the correct way. So when I when I changed the way it was currently being done, it would fall back to the the first way it was being done, which was wrong. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I'd go in there and you know, I'd be refact and then in the middle of a refactor, plus I'm culling stuff, and then I'd be like, Oh crap, I have to refactor this real quick before I can even you know, like hit the reset button. I have to remove stuff. Really crazy. I was like up to my neck in code during some times. Um, I was having a lot of fun, but it was like, it was difficult. <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, you made a lot of progress though. Oh yeah, so much progress. So the way attacking works is kind of back to the twin stick shooter style. Um, you can use the arrow keys to fire up, down, left, right, and all that jazz. You can do uh, diagonals. Um, the monsters now are also on the same page where because uh, we talked about this before, we wanted to make the individual monsters simpler, right? Like the first game, there was just too much complexity, right? Like there was that Minotaur monster, which had all these multiple phases. It would like throw stuff at you and charge you and then wander. And uh, now the monsters are all going to be piped through the same code, which is going to make things way easier. You know, we were l- lamenting recently how it's just hard to add a new monster, right? And so with this refactor, that's one of the goals. I want it to be a breeze. I want to have a, an idea for a monster and I want to be able to crank it out in like a couple of hours. I don't want any of this of like, oh, I got this monster idea. I guess I could take all day today and tomorrow and then make it and then be unhappy with it. You know, <laughs> I want something, I want a system in place like the, that we have now where it's like, it's going to be in place. Everything's going to work. There's like three frames of animation that you need, a corpse, give it a projectile type, change the numbers, bam. You know, like, here's brand new, cool, different content. Yeah, I think that, you know, we probably mentioned this in our previous talk about the ruthless approach to Soul Thief. And I think that this stuff is good, right? It It is very much in line with the thoughts that we had about, you know, we can't make content fast enough, good enough right. due to the current design, right? And like, yeah. 
you know, it's tough for us because sometimes like we don't always think about the content build out phase of the game as much as we need to, right? Like how are we going to like, what's the pipeline for getting content to this game? Like how much reuse is there? It's sort of, it's interesting, right? It's it's sort of like the asset reuse. uh, It is. Right. Yeah. It's like, there's one world that we were in with uh, soul thief in the, uh, you know, earlier in the year where it was like, you know, every monster is like this unique, special snowflake flower that <laughs> that's it know, exactly yes it has all these like okay like it's got these really heavy thematics and it may you know this one monster may have like up down left right this other one may not this other one has left and right but animated sprites yeah um and then their abilities were just widely varying you know some had a stomp some had a melee attack some, some had, had projectiles both. yes i had both some things like the clam had like a defensive phase and a, a projectile. That was the only thing. There was like two things in the whole game. There was the stove boss and the clam that had immunity periods. Periods, and they were both done in different ways, and they were both clunky. And to this day, the clam uh, still had visual bugs where it was supposed to be in its immune phase, and it would show it with its stupid mouth open. And I'm like, why? Why has that been a bug in my code for over a year? But it's like think- these off by one things. They're like, why? Are, why are we doing it that way? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, we make life harder on ourselves because we're a little too ambitious, right? Like, uh, maybe there are a team of two guys who can make this kind of content um, (laughs) quicker than we can, right? Maybe it's us in 10 years. Maybe, maybe it is. But, uh, you know, for the time being, I think that, you know, we should focus on making a game that is content rich. Yeah. And content rich, I think, is better than, you know, maybe just half a dozen monsters that are really unique. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's 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 a tough. You know, I, I don't want to say like, hey, we should make everything the same and like we'll just color it differently and like as long as there's a hundred variations, <laughs> it's fine. You know, like there, it's 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 a spectrum, right? Well, okay. So the previous versions of monsters is just out of our reach, right? It's too expensive. It's it's too much drawing. It's too much content, especially given that. Uh, even though the monsters are simpler than the first game, they're all possessable, which drastically complicates them, right? Exactly. So we could we could not finish the game in the previous state where the monsters were all a ton of work. With the new approach, we can, and it's just like becoming more aware of what it is that we're capable of making, you know. And that's a hard thing to know, especially when you're working on different projects and you're working over extended time and you're working on like you know contracts in your own games right it's like and then again we spent some time on mobile in our earlier career it's hard to know exactly right like that's one of the reasons software is so hard to estimate right but we're becoming more comfortable with like what kind of time do we have what can we do with the current code base that we have and like how can i crank out 10 monsters quickly right and that's kind of what this refactor is all about is like how can we get this game to the finish line faster than it's been going i think it's also about getting closer to the 90 10 rule right yeah like I think Soul Thief started out as a game that was like 50-50 maybe. We wanted it to be pretty drastically different from the first game, which, um, you know, I, I get that. And I think I do admire that in some ways. I think that a lot of sequels probably need to be more different than they are, right? But I think that with a lot of games, especially games like this, I think people probably just want more of the same but better, you know? And honestly, like just having that possession mechanic alone, right? It's very different. Very different. Like that changes Everything. the way that a wizard's lizard plays across the board. And so, you know, we, I, you know, hindsight twenty twenty. I think what we yeah. should have done is really just said, "Hey, let's take wizard's lizard one, add this possession mechanic, and make everything else just better than it was in the first one." However, yeah. we didn't even know we wanted to do that possession mechanic no. until you know late, not late, but you know, uh, somewhat into the development, right? Here are the beats of the project real quick, because I know not everybody listens to every episode. But it was pretty much, we decided we need to make this game because the first game had some momentum. As we've talked about with, uh, let's see if I can put this, is there show notes? I think we talked about sequels. Sequel episode? I'll put a link in there if I can. Uh, We talked about sequels before and the pros and cons, and uh, I think it is really hard to sell an indie sequel. But we felt like we had some momentum with the franchise, so we wanted to make a sequel. But we wanted to get away from Binding of Isaac and away from Projectiles and closer to our actual inspiration, which was Legend of Zelda. Right, and that combines with the idea for possession mechanic, which we thought was—it's uh, not a wholly original idea. It's been in other games for sure. Um, Enemy Mind uh, comes to mind, right? Indie game. Where's I going with that? Um, I think you're saying that you know we wanted to 
step away from Isaac. Like we wanted something to yeah. be a little bit more our own. And also like, you know, we kind of felt like Zelda was a primary inspiration. We wanted right. to step closer to Zelda. But I think the problem was, is we kept the format of an Isaac or AWL style game where it's like room to room, kill the monsters, get A to B, you know? Yeah. Like we kept that format and then we tried to layer in the like kind of slower paced Zelda mechanics right? Uh, as opposed to twin stick shooter. And I think that ended up being sort of a mistake, right? Yeah. I think that if we were going to like early on, we had talked about, Hey, maybe soul thief is like an exploration based game, right? Like it's more like, Legend of Zelda 3. Oh, remember the early versions where we wanted it to be uh, in this winter wonderland? Yeah. We, we had drawn up Raga with this big purple scarf, and we thought yeah. that was so cool. Like, as you're, like, there's snow falling, and as you're walking, these little lizard footprints behind you, and we were like, yeah, open world! Nope. I think that was, you know, we realized, we can't make that. We're no. not fast enough. Yeah, it was like, there was a lot of design issues to solve with that, and, like, that would have been a much bigger step away from what we were building with AWL1, which, you know, right. that might be an interesting game in its own right, um, but it is a lot of work, and then, so we kind of thought we were, like, making a good decision by keeping <laughs> it, like, the room-to-room combat-style thing, but then we went down these tangents of, like, mana and melee and tail whip and all this stuff, and, you know, it was a very kind of muddy design process. Um, yeah, it was. And we ended up where we are now, which... You know, I think given the benefit of like letting it bake and thinking about it and playing it, um, we feel like it's not not exactly where it needs to be. Yeah, I am pretty confident with these new changes that the game will end up being really cool in the end. But it is this definitely this winding kind of roundabout back and forth road that we've been down, uh, which isn't ideal, you know. But man, just think about all the stuff we've learned along the way. Yeah. So I mean, much. You know, one way to look at it is like, man we suck it's just like failure after <laughs> failure after failure uh but the other way to look at it is that like you know that's just the process at some point right like yeah you try stuff and like you don't necessarily know how it's going to work out and i think that our that if there's any mistakes that that you could point to it's probably that we don't recognize it soon enough sometimes mm. like we think that it's good before we know that it's good i, and, I uh, should well, I think that this is something I find myself doing a lot. I won't necessarily speak for you, but like, uh, I tend to excuse things because I think that, oh, we can take care of that later. Yeah, like, me too. Oh, this won't be a problem like when we have X, Y, and Z, right? And that's really dangerous thinking because X, Y, and Z generally never happen, right? Yeah, you're not going to have more time later. You, <laughs> you're going to have less time later because you're going to be creating more technical debt and more design problems, and more content needs to be made. And X, Y, and Z might change to, you know, M, N, and O <laughs> by the time you get there, you know? <laughs> Mano. Mano, oh, oh yeah. Mano. Uh, right? You'll like, appreciate this. You know those giant spreadsheets we had? This was a great example of what you were saying, where it was like, I'll take care of that later, you know? Yeah. Uh, almost any creature we had, the inkwell, the armor, the even the goldfish bowl, basically, basically they had these giant sprite sheets that were made in the same fashion as Raga's sprite sheet, which let me give you, let me, let me explain that. Raga has eight directions he faces, uh, he or she. He also, <laughs> he or she also has um, a idle single uh, animation, three walking animations per eight direction, as well as uh, blinking in every direction and attacking frames, right? right? So Raga is very full featured and the most animation of anything in the game by far, right? Right. Um, the clam and the inkwell and everything else that doesn't have all those perspectives doesn't even have animation it just needs to wiggle because it's like a single image that just makes sense from any angle right an inkwell um those all had the same amount of frames in these giant sprite sheets as raga just because that's how the code would work easily and i was just throwing crap in there and at some point you were like man do we have all these giant sprite sheets with duplicate uh images all over the place like these are the same images repeated over and over again just to fill these gaps of like you know which animation frame the code wants to look at based on your facing direction. Right. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'll get to that later. No problem, right? And it's always been bothering me, but it's been like anytime I'd roll up my sleeves and sit down to do it, I'd be like, oh, God, there's this whole dungeon we haven't done yet. Like the wizard's lab doesn't exist yet. And I should be working on that before going back and refactoring anything, right? Um, I, I just think that like at a certain point in the, in the stage of development, like some of those things need to get solved, right? I think that, yes, Especially for like the long-term health of the project, right? Like there is one way to look at it where you're like, 
why am I wasting my time? The user's never going to see this. Yeah, that exactly. Uh, I should be working on content they're going to see. And I think that's a pretty valid argument, right? But by the same token, you know, if you don't take care of your code base and keep it extensible, it's going to be harder to create new content. It's going to be harder to change existing content, which yeah. as we know, and as you could tell by listening to this podcast, we change things a lot. Yeah, <laughs> because, we do. Because, you know, we can't make up our damn minds about anything. <laughs> That's what I call this podcast. Anyways, yeah. So I think that taking care of the health of your code base is important because, you know, if you say that you're not going to, you're going to do it later, like that generally doesn't happen. At least, you know, for some people. I'm sure there are people more disciplined than us that are like, no, I will get to that. I'm going to, and whatever. Yeah. Um, But I think for most people, and ourselves included, saying I'm going to do it later means I'm not going to do this ever. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) That's a problem for future, Matt. Right. That guy's probably a jerk. I don't care about him. Right. He can deal with it. Present Matt is more important. <laughs> Optimize um, for present Matt. Yeah. Exactly. So the monsters are all going to be the same. They all have the same behavior. And the way they work is basically they have these properties. So it's like uh, the inkwell doesn't move at all. It just sits there and attacks every once in a while. The bat book walks around on an interval and it shoots projectiles at you. The goldfish bull also walks around and shoots projectiles at you. And that's what it boils down to. Does it move or does it not? And if it moves, uh, what type of simple, uniform, universal code does it use to move, right? And it's flexible. It's, it's, it can do neat things. Like, we've got all the code. We can do A-star pathing. We can do chasing. We can do fleet from the player. We can do chase the player. We can do wander randomly. We can do uh, tile-based. We can do diagonals. It doesn't matter. As long as it's all done the same way and all the polish hooks are connected, all the sprites are where they need to be, everything will just work, right? Right. Uh, and the same thing with attacks. The attacking is actually great because it uses the same properties as Raga the, and you as any player, uh, you know, if you possess the Inkwell or the Clam or whatever. Um, you and the Clam, you have the same properties, right? And so you've got your ammo, you've got your projectile count, you've got your projectile pattern. And so you just change some properties. And all of a sudden, you know, like, let's say I want to have an item now where it gives you like a more powerful weapon or something, right? Like it makes your weapon faster or shoot more often or, you know, better cooldown. Uh, It could explode an impact. Any of those things can now be done in this universal way, which is super awesome because that didn't really work that way before. Right. Yeah, it's kind of one of the corners we painted ourselves into with the monster possession was that we got to this place where the abilities that monsters had were so varied that it made it really difficult to create any power-ups that kind of had like a globally uh, advantageous effect, right? Big like time. we ended up yeah. going down this road where it's like, oh, here's a power-up that's only for Raga's tail whip. Yeah. Which <laughs> is kind of cool, but at the same time, you know, it's a little limiting and you right. don't feel like, you know, if you ever have to abandon Raga's body or you want to abandon Raga's body, you know, almost de-incentivizes you to abandon Raga's body because... You know, you have this power up for it now and it's stronger. Right. Um, and you don't get that benefit in any other body. So, you know, it's, I, a lot of these changes are about creating more harmony and extensibility. And yes. it's about simplifying the existing mechanics, you know, keeping the surface space small and really trying to maximize all the little properties that we can get out of the simple systems, right? Yeah. Like that's something else that we're not good at is taking... Uh, a simple set of rules and then creating enough content that, you know, hits all the spectrums there, right? Like, yeah, you were talking about, right? Like even with all enemies shooting projectiles and having some movement, there's a lot of variety. You know, there's no movement, there's slow movement, there's fast movement, there's move away, move towards, you know, and that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of movement. Yeah. And then you've got the projectiles, which are like, you know, how many, what kind of angles, what kind of cooldown, how much damage they do, how far do they go. Movement uh, patterns, like a sine wave. Um, yeah. Some things drop like an ink blot, which is like a web that slows you down or like an explosion when they despawn. Or they might bounce off walls. Right. You know, they might, uh, you know, it's almost like <laughs> scorched earth or something, right? Like there's almost an infinite yeah. amount of projectiles that you could create that, you know, they spawn chickens, right? Uh, and I think we mentioned this last podcast too, but like one of the other ideas we had was taking the wands and just rolling them into monsters, right? Like, definitely, again, creating more harmony and more reuse by, you know, instead of having this weird silo of a thing, bring it into the core mechanic of the game and make it more interesting and more harmonious, hopefully. Definitely, yeah. 
Um, so I, I kind of hit the reset button and I cut all the monsters, except for the bosses. They are, a, I don't know, they're a separate thing I'm going to tackle later because they're kind of their own problem. Uh, but I cut some monsters completely, like the armor from the library is just gone. Um, and then so like the content's going to be a little light, but my goal here is like once I get, you know, a handful of monsters I'm happy with, I want to see, I want to like time myself and be like, all right, I'm going to have a concept for a new monster. It's going to have a design that fits into uh, the properties I need it to, right? fits comfortably within the code, but it's unique enough and it's fun and delightful and all that. And I want to time myself and see how long it takes and see if it's where it needs to be, you know? I think that we should also, like, even before you do that, take the existing monsters that you do like and tweak them, give them a different color, you know, basically palette swap and maybe plus a little bit of art if you really mm. feel like it and give them uh, a slightly upgraded version of their core ability, right? Mm. Like, let's say you have the, I don't know what, Let's say you have the pig head and okay. it shoots one apple. Make a green pig head that shoots two apples and Ooh, has a little bit apple. more health. Or poison apple. Yeah, like just take that exact same monster, you know, palette swap it or give it like a slight mm. visual treatment. Give it a slightly upgraded ability. And, you know, like that's, I think that's an important way to start scaling the game, right? Like, yeah, that is, and it really dovetails very nicely with the asset reuse, right? It's like, how can we most effectively make content? And the answer is not, let's make up a whole bunch of new enemies. It's like you could even scale the stuff that you have now, right? And then like, that's a pretty accepted practice, right? Like here's a, you know, here's a green slime and a blue slime. And the blue slime is basically the same, but it does something a little different. Talking about Dragon Warrior earlier, it had blue slimes and red slimes in the starting area. And they were just pallet swaps. And then later in the game, uh, end game actually, they brought slimes back. They had metal slime. And the blue and red weren't that interesting. They were just one has more hit points than the other, right? But the metal slime is very interesting because it had high possibility to flee, um, high damage absorption, so like really good defense, and crazy high experience points. So it was hard to find, hard to kill, but if you did kill it, you could gain a bunch, bunch of experience, right? And think about this, right? Like in Soul Thief, why can't we create a rare slime that has just tweaks on the existing uh, ability set and you know maybe it's do it does great damage but has right. very low health or maybe it has really high health and very low damage yeah but it appears very rarely maybe there's a room like a single room that it appears in and it, you don't always see it yeah um and like in, in any other world in any other content pipeline if we had to make a totally new monster to fit that role we probably wouldn't right because we'd say well if it's only going to be this one off like i'm not going to draw like four frames and come up with this crazy new ability right mm -hmm. like that's a lot of work for just this little rare monster but you know if we can iterate on the existing version and throw it in there in about an hour that's a that's a win i think yeah that's about where we want to be too like we want to be able to have a day where we know what we're making and we can just do it really quickly and by the end of that day we have like a healthy dosage of new content it needs yeah. to be these this rich fertile ground that we're building on top of instead of what it's felt like for a lot of its development which was like you know Oh, the soil just doesn't have enough nutrients in it. It needs more water. Like it's built on sand. It's all shifty, you know? Yeah. Healthy. <laughs> um, I was really happy with most of the items. I, I did cut a lot of items. Some just didn't make sense at all anymore. For example, uh, I don't even know if I mentioned this. There uh, is only just the one input now. It's outside of attacking. There's and that's just, for the soul ability, right? That's for, yeah, the soul ability. So it became a game where now it's just a twin stick shooter with a single button and that's it. Yep. Because we've all played twin stick shooters that are just twin stick shooters. You just move, you just fire, right? And our game is that, but one more, the possession, which is like a really deep, it's a really deep, interesting mechanic in my opinion. Um, but anyway, I was really pleased with how easy it was to reincorporate some of the items. And I've got all kinds of great ideas for items extensions. And the thing with the items now is they all need to be harmonious. There's not going to be any of these like the tail whip one you were talking about earlier, the stegosaurus plate increases Raga's tail-up damage. There's not going to be anything like that, right? It's all going to be like, no matter who you are with this item, it is good. Harmonizes, Harmonizes with everything else, exactly. So the damage shield uh, stays, and this, this one like responds to an event. When you take damage, you get a shield. There's stuff like that. Uh, here's one. When you uh, have low health and you attack, you spawn like a shocker around your body. It's the electric eel. Some stuff like that uh, still makes a lot of sense. Right. So we still have like a half dozen items or so, but that's where the game is currently at. It's like, um, it's a little more buggy than it was because of all these drastic changes. Um, some of the monsters feel a little different. Most of it feels the same. The projectiles are everywhere and the, uh, items are a lot lighter because we had to cut some of them, but 
overall, I'm feeling really good about the library. <laughs> Everything else is like has almost no content because it's all been cut. But yeah. the library um, is feeling pretty pretty good, and I think with a little bit more work, it could feel quite fleshed out. That's good. Uh, I'm looking forward to this new direction. You know, I think that it's going to be good for the game overall, right? Like, yeah, to focus and double down on a few simple things, right? And like the possession mechanic itself is so complicated, and it complicates the rest of the design so much, right? That we almost can't do anything else, right? Like, we we've spent our complication budget on the that's it possession, yeah. right? And the like sufficient so complexity. Everything else should just be simple. Yeah. As simple as possible. Yeah, that's it. That's one of the ways that we got to the real simple mechanics of the attacking, right? It was we wanted to introduce a possession mechanic. And so the twin stick with that felt like too much at first, but that was just because of the context switching, right? It would be like, I'm going to be Raga and I'm going to attack and then I'm going to possess this thing. And then that might be like the armor, which doesn't have directional attacking. So instead it was like press A to attack with just that one monster and you no longer use the twin stick. So when switching between monsters as quickly as you can in this game, the context switching was just ridiculous. You, you never knew when you possessed a body, if how are you going to control it, you know? Right. It didn't feel great. So we've got that kind of best of both worlds in this new scenario where you can still possess everything and the controls are always exactly the same, but hopefully they will still feel pretty different because they have their own movement properties, attacking properties, like mana regeneration, health, all kinds of stuff going on. Yes, indeed. Anyway, I'm... Uh, I'm re-energized. My goal is to kind of fix the content that's there, get everything back to where I want it to be. We'll have a brand new game design uh, with less content, but it'll be more stable and easier to finish. And I want to get that into... I think I'm going to do a Steam beta channel uh, in the next like week or two because I don't want to put it out to production because it's it's going to be buggy. I'm going to need help testing it for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Plus, it'd be good to get people's actual feedback, right? Like... Another uh, thing that we tend to do is we tend to make these decisions and, and think like, yes, this is the way. Mm-hmm. This, this is going to solve all the problems. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's probably like, is better. It? Yeah, is it? I don't know. I don't like, know. It's good to get feedback from the people that actually play it, right? And say, yeah. you know, what do you think about this change? Like, do you miss the old monsters? Uh, yeah. Or what? Uh, there are some people who email us once in a while with like dumps or just um, like, you know, like a crash dump or just like a page full of ideas. Um, also on the forum and also on uh, on Steam, and I'm anxious to message them. Um, also, like the one negative review the game has, I want to be like, hey, it would try out the new stuff. Like, do you think this is on the right path, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it would be good to reach out, especially to the people that have been critical, right? Like, yeah, that, that might be the most important. Like, do you exactly. think this change improves the game? Yeah. And no, if your answer is no, then get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it'll overall be good because I think most people will probably agree the design is tighter and more harmonious. Um, it's also more like the first game, which is probably good overall, even though, as we mentioned, drastically different with the possession mechanic and stuff, right? But kind of more familiar to those who played the first game and enjoyed it, which there are, there are some people out there. So, yeah, overall, I'm really excited about it. I'm kind of, you know, re-energized about the project, and uh, I'm excited about finishing it. If nothing else like that is just the, the big win, right? Yeah. Anything that we can do to actually spur more work on getting the game towards the finish line is, is a good thing. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I think that's all we have for this week. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Patreon and the forum at forum.lostagames.com. I'm going to play you out with On My Mind. This is the new Waveform X album by Joshua Morse, which you should totally pick up. Ship it.
not leaves though. There's no leaves in the area. I mean, there are leaf blowers. So I, I guess it's still a leaf blower. The fact that it's not blowing leaves doesn't mean it's no longer a leaf blower. Well, if you're in Los Angeles, they're probably blowing trash. Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> trash is LA's leaves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And our version of a creek is uh, 100% cement. <laughs> 100%. Bologna Creek. Sounds lovely, but it's really, it just looks like a building that fell down on its side. <laughs> it's pretty great.